We all know that cars mean traffic, errands, and budgets. But they should also represent freedom and fun. Join us as we work to find everyone a car they'll love. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Earlier today, we were shooting one of our fast blasts, and we had the uh, Lexus RC, which I've been driving for the last couple days, and you've had the Lancer. Yes, I have. And so when we were done with that shoot, because I dropped the Lancer off here when I picked up that press car, when we were done with the shoot, I got in the Lancer and was like, wow, this is different. (laughs) This is not a Lexus. (laughs) This is loud. not quiet. The suspension is stiff. And two blocks later, I was like, and I really like this. So this is clearly who I am. I'm not a Lexus buyer. That's clearly what that is. But, But we are getting finally to where the Lotus is getting driven more than the Lancer too, which I love. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. That's fantastic. I can get up in the morning and say to my son, do you want to take the Lotus to school? He's like, yes, I do. I love that it's school so, bus yellow too. Yes, and That's and I, funny. you know, seriously, I am the smallest car doing the school run because it's Park City. <laughs> of course, and it's, you, are. you know, uh, there's like Escalade, Escalade, Range Rover in front of me, and then there's me, right. who you know, I'm trying to make sure I don't get backed over. But anyway, <laughs> awesome. Well, that actually kind of leads me to an interesting piece of news from Mercedes AMG, saying okay. they are now shifting all of their models to all-wheel drive, which. I, I'm very so mixed about because the everything Lexus... Everything in the lineup all-wheel drive? Like, well, even like the GT and that kind of stuff? I'm, I, that's what I'm kind of inferring wow. from this. I, they're, Mercedes, they're kind the of, new Audi. <laughs> they're kind of indicating <laughs> that's where they're going. Okay. I mean, they don't offer manual transmissions for the U.S. market at this point. They offer very True. few manual yeah. transmissions at all anymore, yeah, as a yeah, matter yeah. of fact. And then, yeah, it's kind of the Audi heavier, more stuff on the car. I feel like they were already... Kind of substantial cars and true. Is yeah, this yeah. Yeah, yeah. is this to gain sales? Is this to gain what? I guess is my question. I'd love to be in the product planning. I'm sure room. it's a. I'm sure it's a. We want to do crazy power, but we want our customers coming back. So it's a power related to safety thing. I, I bet you is is in there somewhere. I suppose. And then of course you know we've all been convinced that all wheel drive is just safer. I mean, you know, did, did, yes, did, did you not? Right. Sorry, did, did you not get the memo, Paul? Because I think no. the rest of us got the memo that all-wheel drive is just safe. You're supposed to believe that. <laughs> I guess everything's better with all-wheel drive. Physics have now yeah. been overcome, and mm-hmm. all-wheel drive yes. overcomes all physics, right? Yes, and and all-wheel drive also comes overcomes bad tires. That's the other thing you have to do. You know. well, tires don't matter. All-wheel drive matters. Absolutely. This is what the memo clearly said. Well, yes. that's exactly what the news articles are saying. That the customers are based on the focus groups, and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that's what they're saying, but. If everybody believes all-wheel drive is safer, then they're going to ask, you know, in the focus groups, hey, then what do you feel like? And we're just yeah. going to give it to you without really thinking, you know what, let's let's go after dynamics of the car before mm-hmm. we actually chase, mm-hmm. you know, more complexity. And again, yeah. it's it's a big rabbit hole to go down. Because it is, for big time. Yeah. When you see this Lexus RC, the all-wheel drive piece, mm-hmm. there's some discussion about should car companies – Back off from offering all-wheel drive, and that yeah, includes yeah, Porsche. Yeah. I could rant a while on this. Wow, that's a that's I a kind of a left turn a rant. Well done. Okay, yeah. I could. But again, sports cars do they need all-wheel drive? Mm-hmm. The the mm-hmm. the smaller sports do we need that? It'd be interesting to see the overall stats of are we selling. And I mean across all things sports cars. And actually, we're getting to a discussion of sports cars in just a minute. But across all things deemed to be sports cars, how many of them are selling better because there's all-wheel drive? I'd love to I'm see sure that stat exists somewhere. I'm sure it exists somewhere. I mean, and there was that yeah, discussion. Yeah, they know their sales figures. There was a discussion that happened uh, when we were at the Kia Telluride launch 
I believe it was Eric from Jalopnik was writing, wrote that piece yes, about his musings right. about why not take the RF Miata and make an all-wheel drive option. And, of course, that created much weeping and gnashing of teeth in the comments because he was essentially posting a musing mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. The, the, Mouse is now offering all-wheel drive on their three. And he was going, why not take this tech and put it in the Miata and offer our all-wheel drive Miata? And it's intriguing and I, and I talked to him and talked to you about it at the time. Yeah, you know, the 911 yeah. does a really good job with its uh, rear-wheel drive till you need it, all-wheel drive system. But ultimately, if we're chasing sports cars, and we're coming to that next, if we're chasing sports cars, is that necessary at all? This does tie into the topic Tuesday for today because the question is from Matt Campbell asking what constitutes a, a sports car. Yeah. yeah what yeah. is the makeup? What is inherently mm-hmm. a sports car? And this started on our uh, our Discord uh, everyday driver chat room that all of our patrons are on. There was a apparently there was a late night rant along these lines and there was a much discussion about what makes a sports car. And so we're going to we're going to unpack it from our understandings and I don't even know if our understandings are the same, but I also think this is a term that has changed and become more inclusive over time. I'm not saying that that's a good thing necessarily, but I think a lot of the things that have quote-unquote sporty intentions now get just grouped into, well, those are all sports cars, and I don't think that's right. Hmm. Okay, all right, we've got to unpack this. We've also got a debate from Kenneth C. in Dallas, Texas, whose wife's car is now a bumper car, and I know his wife is listening because, <laughs> Kenneth, we're featuring your debate. Yeah, for sure. Now, here's the deal. I... I going to get to this, but I don't feel like this is just her in this camp as far as getting bumped in parking lots and having little scrapes and this kind of thing can happen to anybody Mm -hmm. anytime. Mm -hmm. We've all had our moments. Totally, yeah. And so we'll get to that, but he's wondering, should I get rid of the third car and just go back to a more fun daily? Mm -hmm. And then what should his wife's car be? There's a lot to unpack uh, there. There's a lot to unpack. It's very cool after the break. Being scraped. But first, I want to let you know about the pilgrimage trip. Mm Mm-hmm. 2019, we are going late September, early going. October. Yep. Yep. Go to the website, everydaydriver.com, and right in the middle is the Adventures tab where you can find all the details and even an FAQ on the pilgrimage trip. Mm-hmm. Folks, we are going. This trip is it's happening. We're yeah, thrilled. we've got a good group of folks already going. Uh, we've got uh, we've got some non-drivers going. You can take yeah. a yeah. non-driving you know, uh, child, spouse, significant other. That's, that's certainly welcome. It is a driver's trip. There is not, just for those of you, that, including those of you that might be listening, listening now going what have I signed up for because you're a non-driver on our trip there isn't an alternative itinerary <laughs> yeah. just so you know there's not a well you're, you guys are doing museums well we know it's all <laughs> that's, that's, that's the whole trip <laughs> so exactly so anyway uh, but we're going to have so much fun we got a good group going already and we're looking for more because uh, there's a few people circling the trip there are a few spaces left we'd love to have you it is much to my um, kind of shock almost on a daily basis only one of the many things we're doing in the months to come. Yeah, no kidding. Well, details are on the website. As I said, it is all-inclusive except for the airfare because we don't know where on the planet you're coming from. Totally, yeah. And also swag. So all, the only shopping during this trip is going to be the massive amounts of T-shirts that you buy yes. at the Ring and Spa. And all the stickers, yes. And the hats and the stickers and all the stuff. For so sure, for sure. Keep that in mind. We would love to have you. We're cordially invited. Registration is going to be closing in another five, four or five weeks, somewhere yeah, in there. Yeah, it's going to be in June. Yeah, for sure. And uh, also season four is on Amazon Prime and Vimeo. Mm-hmm. So that has closed. We're no longer on Motor Trend for the television series, but we are actually shooting for Q3 of this mm-hmm. year to be back on Motor Trend Network. Yep. 
And it'll uh, start in we're July. In, yeah. we're in the midst of uh, shooting all these seasons episodes. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, season five in July on Motor Trend Channel. Still that early Saturday morning slot. Our stuff, as Paul just mentioned, does not rerun between seasons because we own it and it goes to Amazon and Vimeo. So all of you are watching it. We really appreciate that. So that is coming. We have two Utah meets coming. Two very different Utah meets. We have one coming in just a couple of weeks. March the fi- not March May the fifteenth is <laughs> March our is behind us exactly. At this point. <laughs> Go back in your time machine. <laughs> have you seen? Forget it. Uh, no. Uh, so May fifteenth is a Wednesday night. We will be recording our four hundredth podcast locally in Salt Lake at a place called Broovies. It is a cinema restaurant combo. We're going to do it there. We're also going to have the world premiere of season five, episode one, that night. Yeah, it's going to be a very yeah. cool event. We're also going to follow that with a drive the following weekend. That is a very informal Utah kind of meetup. Come be part of this podcast. That registration is coming up very soon. It will be available later this week. Uh, it's a very simple registration, small fee, just because you're we're paying for the venue more than anything. Yeah. So that's going on. We are having a Utah meetup at the beginning of. August that is just like last year. Lots of driving, track time, lots of meals, hanging out. Going to be very cool. Info of that is coming soon. That's this is just the stuff that has nothing to do with show. By the way, <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, show or happens. The ongoing podcast, show happens. Like yeah. But this, these yeah. are mostly about hanging with you guys. So we're excited. Yeah, for sure. Well, if you would do us a favor and rate and review season four on IMDb and Amazon, mm-hmm. and a quick shout out to our sponsors that make it happen: Covercraft and Grios Garage. Covercraft is still going through their spring sale event on their website where you can double dip. So the code that we use for both companies, which is every day, that is the code to get you 10% off. It'll actually get you 20 mm. at Covercraft because it, cool. it combines their current spring yeah, sale, yeah. which is 10%, then combined with our code. And that does indeed work. We've confirmed that. But thanks to both these companies treating us like family, to mm. be honest. Yeah, big and, time. Uh, big time. So we want to share the love as well. So if you're thinking about uh, you know spring cleaning, get your stuff right now. But uh, right now, I want to switch to the topic Tuesday that yeah, has grown cool. out of what we have introduced on Patreon, which mm-hmm. is a Discord forum. If you mm-hmm. use Slack at work, mm-hmm. it's very similar in structure because there's there's channels mm-hmm. of yeah. car topics. And so if you are a patron member at any level, you get access now to the Discord forum, which is ongoing. It's grown very large. It's yeah. worldwide, yeah. and it's all these different topics. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So what's cool. come out of this is a question from Matt Campbell, who has asked, "What constitutes a sports car? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What what is it? Is it is it parts? Is it platform? Is it balance? Is it weight distribution? Yeah. What is it?" Yeah. And apparently, <laughs> there was a, a bit of a conversation going on yes. the other day. On, Luckily, on Discord. Our, our Discord, the whole, the whole chat room there, ends up being surprisingly cordial. But it doesn't mean people don't disagree with I don't think that's right at all. They do it in a kind of a nice way, which I think is, is quite adult of everyone. So thank you for that. But this this is the question about what makes a sports car. And I should start at the core of it. Okay. From what I understand, and I'm, there I'm sure there may, may be ways to correct me here, but the original definition was two-seat roadster. Yeah. That was where yeah. it started. Agreed. And yeah. and this is two-seat Roadster in a time when you put the top up only because it was England and they were suddenly a deluge. This isn't a top that you're going to drive <laughs> any distance with. It was essentially a car without a top, and that was a sports car. It was for sports events. It was for sporting events that related to, to driving on a track, driving quickly. They were sporting events. Sure. It's a sports car. Sure. And then growing out of that, the traditional hard top variant – is kind of where the Grand Tourer came from. I'm going back to the like the start of when no, people talk good. about this. The Grand Let's Tourer came from the kind of the hardtop variant, if you will, or the hardtop alternative to the full Roadster. Both of those terms, in my opinion, have morphed and changed. But this is where we start. Yeah. Well, to your point about 
nomenclature being used, mm-hmm. and let's just bring up SUVs. Yes. Do you realize that it stands for sports utility vehicle? Yes, Sp- it does. Sports is in actually the name of the class of vehicle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think, all right, we could slice the onion very thinly and get mm-hmm. into sports like skiing. But you could t- take your two-seat roadster with a with skis in it. Yes, We've seen you could James Bond it up. Ca- yep. Plenty of Californians stick their surfboard in the car. Yeah, for sure. But then it's grown to be, oh, I'm taking the whole family. We're going mm-hmm. kayaking. We're going off-roading. We're going camping. Yeah. We're going yeah, yeah. to do yeah, big time. a thing. Mm-hmm. And sports now has gotten very loosely termed because Completely. camping is included, as I mentioned. It could mean just we're floating on the river. We're <laughs> the doing world a camping trip. championships tonight on ESPN <laughs> right after the hot dog eating contest. Exactly. What happened to sports? Sorry. <laughs> well, it's like Bob Costas said one time when he was calling for the Olympics and, uh-huh. you know, he said uh, about trampolining, and I think it was ribbon twirling. He said, everything I did in my backyard as a kid is now an Olympic event. <laughs> it was hilarious. But I'm telling you, when they're doing the big athlete profile on ESPN about the guy that's about to eat 200 hot dogs or whatever, <laughs> I'm thinking we've gone a bridge too is far. Sorry, I'm off. Sport? Yeah, exactly. I'm off. Uh, uh, what uh, car yeah. did you drive to your yeah, – anyway. anyway yeah. So, yes, the industry has now used this term mm-hmm. to mean the larger, wider. We're filling our car with – stuff to mm-hmm. go do the activity it's it's the catch-all term for the alt minivan yeah and now yeah. cuv is crossover utility vehicle meaning we blended the big suv idea with something more car-like so we need a term well it's kind of a crossover between it's a crossover between utility your, vehicle between your sports of the i mean yeah. on a daily basis you get home from work and you're on the river man you're <laughs> I mean, there's no time to waste. Yeah, clearly. Every weekend, you're gone. And the thing is, also, the sports utility vehicle, it began with, like, the the Cayenne and the X5. Mm -hmm. And now it's anything that isn't a minivan is now an SUV. Pretty much. From Suburbans to the Mazda CX-3. Yes, you, although you will those find, are now the CUVs. Those are CUVs, technically, but you will find people that refer to any of the above as an SUV. Yeah. Which, is, which I find quite hysterical. But anyway, yeah. All right. So diving further into the question from Matt here, saying that the thread on Discord started because some people thought that hot hatches weren't sports cars, mm. just econo boxes with go fast parts. So the question here is, what makes a sports car a sports car? Is it rear wheel drive? It, does it have to be a dedicated platform? Mm-hmm. What is it that makes the sports cars we have in our minds when we yeah, say that term yeah. What is it? And I'm I'm coming to personally a mix. Okay. And I'm not trying to take a middle stance here for the sake of doing so, but I'm I'm leaning more towards a feeling, but the feeling has to be supported by particular parts. Mm. We'll we'll get to the tuning out of class part here in just a minute, or just tuning in general. But okay. Best of luck. The the feeling in general, you want to go for a drive, mm-hmm. and you go for a drive, and the feeling of doing, you know, fast driving in a car, yeah, yeah. whether that's on a canyon road, a twisty road, or on a track, that is different than your day to day driving, gives you that sports car feeling. Okay. I think that's what people are looking for, okay. and that's behind the the ads when you know you see the new Z4, or a Boxster, or whatever, mm-hmm. and you think, oh. I'd, I'd love to go have that feeling. That's what's mm-hmm. really being sold here. But it has to manifest itself by virtue of the platform and the parts and h- how, you know, is it more on the luxury side and you don't mm-hmm. you don't really get after on the track and you just kind of cruise GT style like you said? Yeah, yeah. 
or is it really more on the hardcore side? Whether, you know, ooh, you could be tempted by a lot of these parts, you know, the Toyota 86. Hey, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's it's a sports car platform, and we're kind of leaving it open-ended for you to fill in the blanks of what you want to go do to it. Mm-hmm. Toyota never alluded to that, but we all knew that's what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Could, you could do stuff to this car, sure, and they sure, sure. clearly yeah. made it a platform for, hey, add some parts, go nuts, yeah, go wild. Yeah. You know, tuned to your heart's content kind of thing. So where is it? But I come back to first and foremost, it's a feeling. Mm, If a particular car, front, all-wheel drive, or rear-wheel drive gives you that feeling, that's valid. Okay. All right. But again, it's got to be supported by, you know, good platforms. And that's where Mm -hmm. you and I dice things up because, ooh, mid-engine and rear-wheel drive. Yeah. You know, we start to get into the the nitty-gritty of... Well, this gives you a better feeling and and more of it comes through and you can take this corner faster or harder or maybe you can't, Mm -hmm. but you're getting more raw feel through that steering and throttle sensations. Okay. All right. I see that. And and I think think that is supportable in much of the modern time discussion, but it also makes the term pretty broad. Sure. A lot of things can be classified as sports cars. Not, I, I think, not incorrectly, Fair. but under that assessment, a lot of things would be classified as sports cars. I'm going to draw some lines in the sand okay. based on that initial definition and where I think we are now. Okay. Because the original definition, if you kind of unpack it, even if you go to, look, I'll, I'll go completely geeky for a second. Google it. Google what's a sports car. They're all going to talk about them being lightweight, nimble, essentially referencing back to roadsters, but they may mm-hmm. or may not even call out roadsters, but they're all going to reference that. That's, that's what the actual official definition now is as well, like the modern official definition. I think what is required first and foremost is that to be a sports car, it has to have been built to be small and agile and fun to drive first, and everything else was secondary. Okay. Now, okay. that I go to some places where that gets blurry, where I think some things qualify that you might be surprised by. But I think one of the big factors is, or t- actually two of the big factors are, it doesn't need a lot of usable space. Two people, we could be done at two people, or we could go as broad as the FRS, which has got some back seats and some rising trunk space, but you didn't buy the FRS as your family hauler. You can do it, I've done it, but it's not what it's for. So it's primarily a car that is about two people going somewhere, and I think it has to be 3,000 pounds or less. Hmm. I think hmm. to be a, to actually fit the definition, I think if you're hmm. bringing a car okay. at 3,500 pounds, it's actually now starting to lean toward the sedan world. You can have a two-door sedan. I think your M2 goes there. I think your Mustangs go there. I don't okay. think they are officially sports cars because I think they are too big and they are compromised. And I don't mean that as a slight, but they are compromised in trying to be a do-all car that is sporty, whereas hmm. a sports car is your Lotus Elise, your S2000, your Mazda Miata, your Alpha 4C. All of these are less than 3,000 pounds. But in that p- place, I would also say, I think you could argue a Fiesta ST. Okay. Because okay. it's a hatch, but it's a tiny hatch. You didn't buy it for utility. You just didn't. You didn't buy it for its nice interior. No. It's mainly a car for two people to drive around and hoon. Now, I know you can buy the economy version, but the Fiesta ST, I think, fits closer to the definition, I'll go you one further, than the 911 does. I think the Fiesta ST is more sports car, more, more able to slide in the gray area than the 911. As far as what? Being a sports car. I think most of the things that we refer to as sports cars now better fit the mm. definition of a grand tourer. 
They are a do many things, drive cross country, be acceptable and luxurious and nice to be in, and are also sporty. But in the world of sports car, I think we've got a pretty narrow world of things that could be argued. And I think the Fiesta's on the edge only because, let's be honest, it's not all that nice a car, but it's fantastic to drive. But a lot of the things I would say are sports cars are not all that nice to be in, but they're fantastic to drive. I think that's back to the core definition. Okay. So I have a car, specifically one car in mind, to discuss. Great. Please. It is the Mitsubishi Evo 10. Mm Mm-hmm. This is a car that was in econo box to start with. Mm-hmm. It was not set out to be a platform of this is sports car fun to drive first. True, true. It was a basic transportation car mm-hmm. that Mitsubishi took, screwed parts to it, mm-hmm. ramped it up to a level where it's now a four-door sedan. It is not a coupe. Mm-hmm. It's not a two-door. Mm-hmm. It's fun to drive. It's fast. It does all the things that you just named. It is. It can hang in the GT category, and it can hang with all of those sports cars, not to mention probably beat them in most cases. But I would as call far it a sports sedan. Cornering. I'd call it a sports sedan. Okay, so is it sports sedan mm-hmm. and not sports car? Yes, I think it's a sports sedan. I think because that car is, the, is a broad term. Car is a broad term. Car so is a broad term. Car now but it means was two door. So I think, sports car think, only can be two door. I think the sport. No, not sixty. I think the Fiesta ST is on the edge. But I think sports uh-huh. car. I think sports car is more plaything than daily. By definition. So then, that doesn't mean that crazy people like me don't use them as a sure, daily. because nobody says sports coupe. I'm going to do- go drive in no, a sports coupe. No, not at all. No, not it's a all. sports car. Yeah. So I, I think, it's, I think it's, it's toy car. I think that really gets back mm. to the definition because when you think about the original roadsters, what were they? You'd By and large, you weren't driving them cross country. You might not even want to drive it to go get groceries. You're just driving it for the sake of driving it to say you have it. That's the core of it. And I think when you carry those on to today – People like me will drive it daily. But in general, you're going to buy something nicer and more all around than that. And I wouldn't – I think it, it becomes a tight definition at that point. And I don't think the Evo qualifies. I don't think the M3 qualifies. I don't think the Mustang or Camaro qualify. We're getting into cars that I would say Interesting. are starting to lean more towards sedans, even if they're only two doors, and are do-it-alls more than the, the S2000. I mean, is, is I would consider car. a Mustang GT350R a sports car. That is a sports car to me. I think it's, it's large, it's I, heavier. Yeah, but to me, that's sports car. Yeah, but I I can see you having that as your daily for a lot of people that would never use it for anything else. Really, daily? I, I think thing? a lot of people would. That is hardcore car to daily. That's it's that's angry. A hard it's angry. Core but I think a lot daily. more people would daily a GT three fifty or a GT three fifty R than would a Lotus. Or an S2000. Yeah. I think a lot more people so would. So what we're getting at is size. Size and weight, which is what you've size, named. Size, weight, usability. I think this. I think these things lead back to the difference. By GT350 the way, GT350 is not a GT car. It is not a GT car. <laughs> it's a track car. It is a but track car and sports but car. But weren't all of those original cars, the, 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 the American classics here, the Trans Am cars, if you will, mm-hmm. the Trans Am series, isn't that kind of qualified as much more of a like an American sedan series and an American sports car series isn't that kind of how it's classified I, somebody's going to correct I, me here's here's my favorite thing yeah, about this car debate can't definitively say not car debate this this topic Tuesday here yeah. on the car debate yeah. is that this may be the biggest bar fight ever because I guarantee you people are screaming in their cars right now about what <laughs> their is, counterpoint yeah. is which is why I think yeah. it's great there is no there is no defining this and going full stop we're done but I like that you and I are already going yeah. well, wait what about this well that is the exact the point because we can all think of particular cars that don't fit the definition of 
what we're trying to define. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, I've thought of the oddball, you know, the weird totally. thing that is the outlier that, hey, it can do this, this, and this. And mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. the way, mm-hmm. I mean, the Evo 10 is not that much over 3,000 pounds. It's about 3,500 or so. Is it that yeah, much? Yeah, it's that much. It'll let all okay. wheel drive madness. Okay. Yeah. I, I, but I come back to the Mustang GT350. That is, that is sports car in my mind. Okay. All right. I, all and right. to me, an M2 sports car. Absolutely. See, I, I think that's a sports sedan. I, it's a two-door, but it's a sports Absolutely sedan. Absolutely sports car. I mean, when we're getting into Aston Martins and, you know, the higher-end luxury kinds of things that truly are heavier, mm-hmm. but you would all run out to come see Uncle's brand-new sports car because most people that aren't into cars, yes. as everybody listening, you're right. You're right. they'd come out the door, hey, I got a new sports car. Come out. Totally. And, you know, the kids would come out and be like, Uncle, that's... That's a GT car. That's a Grand Tour. That's heavy 4,000-pound Aston Martin. That's not a sports car. No, it's a sports car. Well, the, and the, de- the definition has – this is where the definition has grown and blurred. Mm-hmm, and, for sure. And I'm, and I'm not going to you know, say we all have to go back to – not, it's not about that. But I think the definition has grown and blurred and become inclusive just like the SUV definition has mm-hmm, grown mm-hmm. And, and become inclusive. And I think in general, cars that are two-door – are classified by most people as a sports car. Two-door cars, yeah. period. Yeah. And hot hatchbacks can be both. They can be two they doors can. or they can be four doors. And, and what if we had the three but, doors like oh, most stop. of Europe gets? Please stop. Let's bring um, that here to kind of throw that in the mix. Well, but but the thing is, I think for most people, the general definition is it's a two-door car. That's a sports for the, car. For the most part. Yeah. And you're right. Most you, you, they go hardcore this way and, mm. you know, more luxurious and cruiser yeah, that way. But it's all and under the what, general definition. What is the spectrum? In the same way that you say SUV and you can theoretically <laughs> mean suburban or CX-3. So, Matt, if you're wanting us to be definitive of all time. Have you listened to the podcast? No, actually, I know he has. That's <laughs> Clearly, I don't think this is the point. But honestly, I'd love to hear reactions from those of you listening. Mm-hmm. Where does it end? Because clearly it's going on on Discord. We're broaching the subject. Yep. And now, where does it go further? If you'd like to join the Discord and weigh in, please, we'd love to have you as a patron at any level. You can certainly weigh in and keep this going. But in my mind, the best sports car is a Cessna. Uh, sorry? You, because you can go anywhere. It, you, can, you can go anywhere. You when can was just, that the definition of you, a sports you car? Can, you can just fly and go. That's your can sports. You get a, can, you get a convertible, uh, can you get a convertible Cessna? Is that what we're doing? Well, I, I don't know about that, but you can at least open the windows. <laughs> Surprisingly windy in my Cessna today. <laughs> oh, no. Now it's raining. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, thank you for the question. I, I'm curious as to where this goes. This might have to be revisited because we might have to do some more research into particular cars. And, you know, maybe we actually come up with the the definitive lines and name cars and where they fall and here's hardcore here's medium here's gt cars and there's everybody else out in the you know grazing out in the and then and then questions every time and by the way thank you guys for all the answer all the questions you throw out but then questions from there on out on the podcast are just gonna be people throwing out the random you know Car you from left field happening. of well, where would you put this? It would happen indefinitely. It'd be fun, but you're right; it would happen. It needs to be a bubble chart on Discord. You know, the ad frightening. To, you know, it's like the Wikipedia of my, sports car bubble. My brain know, hurts it? just thinking Ooh. about the idea. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, if you've got a topic Tuesday similar to Matt's question or similar to what's going on in Discord, we'd love to debate it here. Write to us, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com, where you can also write your car debates. While, again, you're perusing all the FAQ for the pilgrimage trip and wondering yep. how you're going to justify it, and we say, justify <laughs> it anyway. Come with us, because it's <laughs> going to be sure. epic.
the photos alone. And when you come back and tell all your friends, I did that, mm -hmm. minds are going to be blown. You watch an F1 race from then on and you go, oh, yeah, I've actually driven on spot. I, I know that's, a, that's a cool sentence. Like. And it's, please don't get me wrong. It's not a cool sentence because you're bragging about it. It's a cool sentence because you actually did it. Yep. That's why it's yep. cool. All right. We're taking a break. We're coming back. We're often asked how we find the cars that we recommend to all of you listening. Whether it's local or nationwide, our searches start with Auto Tempest. Instead of searching each car shopping site separately, you can enter all your parameters for the car you're looking for into Auto Tempest one time, and then you can search for them all at once. See results from Cars.com, Cars Direct, eBay, and more, or you can jump to Auto Trader or Car Gurus without entering anything new. Same parameters, new site. You can even search all of Craigslist. Think about how hard it is to search Craigslist nationwide, one at a time. Autotempest.com has got you covered there all at once. Autotempest can help you find your next new or used car, whether there's a dozen in your neighborhood or two in the country. Plus, the people at Autotempest listen to this podcast, and they're always refining the site for more features. They've got research tools, buyer and seller guides, and they're listening to what their users need. So if you're doing your own drive homework, you're chasing your dream car, or just looking to feed the disease, as we are all the time, Autotempest.com is your place to start. Ken C. in Dallas, Texas, writes to us with the headline that his wife's car has now become a bumper car. That's terrible. That's terrible. Here's the story. His wife has not had a perfect driving record. Hello, Ken's wife. No speeding, no accidents since she, she began driving 12 years ago until this year. She, she had a perfect driving record. There was none she of that. She had the perfect driving record. There was none of that. Yeah. She received a speeding ticket, but then was involved in three low-speed parking lot fender benders, all her fault. And he's saying, you know, she started a new business. Maybe she's, you know, a combination of fatigue preoccupation have caused gaps in attention span. Now, he's saying, along with re-educating his wife's, uh, wife on the importance of paying attention to the road and surroundings, he thought having a vehicle with proximity sensors could be more of a safety net. Possibly. Also, this podcast right now might already have started a fight. Ken and his wife might currently be not, fighting, having heard this. Not the intention, because... Honestly, this is not just her. This can happen to oh, any one of us. And I note how easy it is for mm -hmm. any one of us to lose concentration or just assume things, I, just not paying attention. Well, but you can also just, you can do that thing where you've done, as far as you know, everything right, and you, you truly did not see that thing. You just didn't see it. It happens like crazy. I yeah. knew, I knew uh, and I also feel like this stuff comes in, in chunks. I feel like yeah, I feel like when you have sure. that you've had nothing for the longest time and then you have that one thing and that becomes three things that have happened in your car. All all of a sudden, I feel like everybody I know when something happens, it happens in a, like a series. <laughs> it's not like I've had a speeding ticket once a year for every 5 years. No, I had none for two decades and I got three this calendar year. That's the kind of stuff that happens. So, she's in a spell and I actually think that that playing to Ken's question here cuz he's kind of going Okay, she's she's got this Acura uh, RDX she's been driving. Let's right, let's trade right. that out. I also think that a different car would be good to just kind of reset the bar anyway. Sure, just because it's fresh and new, just whether it's better, quote unquote, yeah. or not, just having a fresh new ride and is and and your brain is do. now thinking differently about where are the corners and this car does yeah. this and I think I think that works the brain differently enough that I mean I I think about it a lot with all the cars you and I drive. I'm yeah. constantly yeah. having my brain, uh, my own driveway. I'm constantly having my own brain reset by, 
oh, this car does different things down my driveway than my car does. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. I, I'm con- it's my driveway. I should be able to do that literally half paying attention. But when you jump into all these different cars, it resets you for, oh, that's diff- this is different like this. I think that reset is good here too. Yeah, for sure. All right. So he currently owns, as Todd said, a 2014 Acura RDX. He's got a 2018 Volvo S90 inscription and sitting in the garage, which has been sitting in the garage for a while, mm-hmm. a 2015 Subaru WRX base manual transmission. He said it's got about five to $6,000 worth of power, transmission, and suspension mods. This is the track car mainly because mm-hmm. yeah, it's Dallas, so you're not, you're not chasing canyon roads. Having been there, I mean, the closest thing to a canyon road is the enormous four-story overpasses. Those aren't really canyon They're roads. They're huge. Uh, but uh, yes. they do freeze terribly, side note. But anyway, <laughs> um, so he has this, uh, this WRX that is predominantly the track car, but what's happening let's be honest, is it's just not getting driven. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So he he says he takes the WRX to track days once a quarter to half a year. So mm-hmm. that's two to four times a year. Yeah. 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 And he, okay. it's a hard car to daily. That's his problem. He's mm-hmm. doing the bumper to bumper Dallas thing. It's, it's not quite as bad as Houston, uh, LA and Atlanta, but it's not far behind. So he, he's doing the big time commute, which is why he bought this Volvo for helping with the commute thing. The Volvo has not been everything he hoped it would be. I mean, let, let's put it about it. Let's be more clear. The S90 is great because you and I drove one not that long it ago is in great. LA and it it's is phenomenal, great. Yes, but it does not have an enthusiast mode in its body. Yeah, he's got some buyer's remorse going on, yeah. he says. He thought of having a comfortable upscale car for daily, and the fun weekend car would be the good balance, mm-hmm. but he's not getting the use out of it. And now he's actually kind of realizing that his schedule doesn't permit for it because, you know, they've got a child but no pets, and they're not the camping type. So yeah. do they need the RDX for, you know, for camping and, you know, excursions and that kind of thing? Do they even need the, the CV? And the, and the WRX is just sitting. So yeah. predominantly what we're doing here for Ken and his wife, hello again to your wife, is trying to find your wife a different car or possibly you've also floated this idea. You've also thought about giving her the S90, which she is open yeah. to, even though she's yeah. traditionally had uh, CUVs, SUVs. She's open to the S90. So, you, so the S90 might stay, and I want to unpack this a couple different ways. Okay, But we definitely want to get your wife in a different car and hopefully solve for you, Ken, something you are in every day. Notice the name of the show that you're actually enjoying <laughs> being in. So it has to do, I mean, we're, we're chasing where we were before. We're chasing GT cars. Uh, it has to do the I'm sitting still thing well. But when you have the big sweeper of the overpass, you have a minute to put your foot in it. It's fun. The S90 Absolutely. doesn't do those things, but it does the lane departure and smart cruise control and sit here in a nice place with a lot of room while you commute. does that well. And I'm guessing, Ken, this is something you're going to have to come to terms with, even though you have the S90 and the manual transmission car, because mm-hmm. you're now going to probably one car for you and one car for your wife. Theoretically, yeah. The manual transmission is going to d- disappear out of your life. It may, yeah. So that's just a reality. Mm-hmm. Not that that's a bad thing. I don't own a manual transmission currently. Yeah. I got PDK and it, it fits the thing. It fills a need that manual transmissions don't. But then, of course, there is a, you know, it's just scratch with that. There's something lost there too. Yeah, sure. So just, you know, getting used to that because anything we suggest that is a, you know, you've got a really great budget here, fifty to 60000 plus a trade-in value of about fifteen, sixteen thousand. Mm-hmm. And you're open to going used, which is great. We might not even to spend, need to spend that kind of money. That was actually just said on the podcast and said by Paul. We might not spend all your money. <laughs> hey, yeah. hey. Hey, I'm just calling it like <laughs> I see it. All right. But he said this new purchase must have at the very least 
proximity detection capability. And he's saying most new cars nowadays do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some are way more aggressive than others. Yes. And you look around for the button, like, where is that? It's usually on the left side down where you, you know, you, the trunk release or the hood release is. It's <laughs> they didn't make it easy to find most somewhere. of the time. You're right, Just yeah. punch the buttons down there and see if you're successful because, you know, don't take your eyes off the road. <laughs> that must stop. Yes. <laughs> All right. So he says, does he go after a vehicle for himself and give his wife the Volvo? He's test-driven the LC500 Lexus. Mm-hmm. Ooh. That's cool. It's very cool. Those turn my head, by the They're way. They're very cool, yeah. He's test-driven the Lexus GSF, large four-door sedan, mm-hmm. or the RCF. So yeah. that's up okay. there. Yeah. Interesting. He's test-driven the M3 and M4. He's got the Porsche 911 on the list, so that's just kind of a broad, open, any mm-hmm. year. For sure. You know, whatever yeah. he's looking at. And he's got the Alfa Romeo Giulia Quadrifoglio on here, too. Yeah, that's a, I like that one. You realize bit. that I believe we are now at the three-year mark? Are we at the three-year mark? I I think you're right. If we're not, we're close. We're very close. Certainly by this fall, it'll what, be three years of, yes, of release, I bet. Yeah. To what you and I discussed of, okay, these are $80,000 brand new. Mm-hmm. Three years from now, they'll be 50, 60, and will it be worth it? Will the reliability be there? Will this new platform have proven itself, and do we still want a quadrifolio? Mm-hmm. We're nearing yeah, that point. Yeah, yes, yes, we do. We, yes, we we kind of have to answer that question. I, <laughs> I, I do. I still want one. I mean, they're yeah. amazing looking. I don't see enough quadrifolios. Maybe it's True. just Utah, but True. I don't see enough of them. Yeah. They're yeah. Well, brilliant. I think I, I've seen them. Whenever we go to L.A. to shoot, I see three or four, and I'm glad. Yeah, they're even though they're I, I hope looking. they're taking him somewhere other than the freeway because that is a really fun <laughs> well, car to drive on the back roads. I yeah. mean, that is that is a contender. And then he's saying, okay, do does he get his wife a luxury or a luxury three row SUV? Does it need to be three rows? You said you don't have any pets, yeah, and one child. Well, but do we but, need? But three he rows? acknowledges the point that she's kind of leaning toward SUV and maybe three rows, and he is asking the question, the unanswered question, honestly, of do we need that? And they kind of agree that they don't really, but that's still her proclivity. She still is kind of mm-hmm. a, what about an SUV? So it's an interesting place to be. I don't I don't think you guys need it yet. I think the three-row is too much. And I also think in this discussion we're having right here, let's not get something that has those potential blind spots. Thank you. As And size. Because mm-hmm. I agree with you. Yeah. I'm going to start with her. Okay. I, Great. I think you should get rid of everything. Oh, interesting. Okay. Clear the garage. and everything. Just start again. Clear it all okay. out because there's a stigma attached to the RDX. Yes. There's a stigma for you attached to the Volvo uh, S90 because yeah, I see that. I see even that. if you pass it down to her, it's still in your life and you'll mm-hmm. still be driving it at some mm-hmm. point. Sure, sure, sure. And then you can't justify having the WRX sitting. So I say clear it all out. Start fresh. Okay. Start again. Okay. Hit the reset button. Wow, all right, all right. And for her, I don't think you need a three-row SUV because you have one child, I don't no pets. I don't either. Let's get something smaller instead of putting proximity sensors all over a giant Suburban. <laughs> Let's start with something smaller and I go small. I mean, it, small. Is, it is Dallas, and there will be a bunch of Suburbans. You could you could you drive think? the shipping crate or the Escalade <laughs> I, and just get it done. And, and they're phenomenal, but I don't think that's right here, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking even Macan. You oh, mentioned Cayenne on here, but that's interesting. I'm thinking Macan. In this discussion, Macan probably works. Yeah, I see that. I it's, see that for scale. It's yeah. got size and it's fine to mm-hmm. have your child on the back. It's great for the three of you to go cruising wherever Absolutely. you go, get yeah, out of town. Yeah. It's got still got plenty of space, mm-hmm. but that's where my headspace is at. Okay. You had X5, right. Q7, and Cayenne. I'm going a half step down. I'm thinking Q5, X3. Macan. I see where you are. I see where that you are. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. 
I think having a little bit nimbler, little bit smaller vehicle that's still good size around her, and she's already in an RDX, which is yeah. kind of small. It it's it's comparative to the RDX. I agree with that completely, yeah. And yeah, yeah. again, it's fresh, it's new, mm-hmm. it'll do mm-hmm. things differently, it'll drive differently. All of those things, I think, is a healthy, fresh restart. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. But for you, Ken, I can't get M2s out of my head. Oh, that's good. I like that. That's good. I cannot that's get really them good. out of my head yeah, okay. and get the DCT in the M2 because mm-hmm. you can okay. get after it. Okay. I mean, I was originally going to really try to hard sell you on a 1M because your budget is really healthy, 50 you to 60. You could get a 1M. Yeah. Like a sweet 1M. And they're so awesome. Yeah. But manual only. And you're very expensive. Mm-hmm. And there's a bit of precious factor because it was only built for one year and yeah. it's an enthusiast hardcore car. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. Um, and does he want to commute in that and do that kind of thing to it? I, I see. By the I way, I think a one M is a sports car. But anyway, just to you know, uh, which day that, it's a sports sedan. Anyway, feed that yeah. back. And I love it's a two-door. it. Two door. But yeah, it's two door. Well, that, we talk, I think that's how broad it's gotten. <laughs> two door is, is the <laughs> term. To, We're back no, to where we started. Ripping the band aid yeah. off that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I'm working on M2 because they've come down in price. If you want to go get a new one, great. Yeah. You don't even yeah, have yeah. to go competition. Mm-hmm. Not the point. But get the DCT M2. Yeah, I see where you are. You can be compliant, but it still reminds you at, at every turn. Mm-hmm. I'm a sports car. I, I've got. I'm. I'm waiting. I'm ready for you to go. It's, find yeah. it. It's not. It's not the luxury cruiser that the S90 is. I by think any it, means. Yeah, it's nimble, and, and he could go track it like crazy. You could that's I see the, where you are. That's I see the where great you are. thing yeah, about yeah. it because you show up with an M2. That car is like owning a thousand cc bike. There's still a lot of performance left that you aren't going to find yet. There's, there's, okay. you can ride it. I see where you're going. You can, yeah, yeah. You can yeah, yeah. drive it. You can, there's plenty of stuff to be found at your driving level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's still so much more beyond that that will not make it boring for the future. I see where you are. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'd use that as a loose comparison. I see but where you you're get, going. Though. You get yeah, the yeah. point there. Yeah. Okay. Good. And good, so, good. um, yeah, all German garage would be lovely and. Bring things down, Macan and M2. I mean, just just imagine taking a snapshot of your garage with the back ends. And when you do send us that photo, I'm going to go a different place here. But but I I do like that garage you've got there. That's very cool. That's tasty. I'm going to say, Ken, right now I'm going to leave with a question mark on it that WRX because a part of me says, and the part that we normally talk from, if you're really driving it three or four times a year, I think you can get rid of it. I I hate to say it, but I think you can get rid of it. But at the moment, I'm not actually going to leave that in this equation. I'm just going to assume for now that is an unknown for you. And I want you, I want you to take a hard look at that car and figure out, like you said, Paul, should it be wrapped up in this? Because I think that's a, there's a real worthwhile discussion there. In spite of the fact you've, you've tuned it and made it you know, more track uh, healthy, mm-hmm. in spite of that, you're not using it much. And you're realizing that you're having trouble using it. So I really wonder if you should, you should turn that into cash to help you get something else. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'm going to leave it out okay. for now. Okay. I like the S90 for your wife, but that's a big car. It's a ton of space. It is. It's it, large. The, the, the back seat space in that rivals like the extended wheelbase versions of like the Audi A8 and the 7 Series BMW. It's that kind of back seat It's got seat Uber space. back seat controls and window switches. It it's, it's, a, it's a really nice car. It's a very big car. So my concern is I think it may be too big. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what I think you do, but but I but I like where Volvo is right now. I love all of Volvo's safety features. Yeah, They true. are great. They're doing great interiors. So here's what I think you should do. Go back to your Volvo dealer where you got that car from and see what kind of deal you can get on getting rid of the S90 and getting your wife into either an XC40 or an XC60. Ooh. 
Both are they're they're different in styling. So find which one she likes. The forty they're, is great. They're they're both great. They're both great, and they are very different to look at. But they're phenomenal. They're phenomenal interiors. They have great driver assist features. They have mm. fantastic technology. Mm. Good space. Nice materials. I can't actually think of a reason to not recommend one of those two for what you're needing. So I, I like think it. it is everything that's good about that Volvo in a smaller package that leans SUV for your wife. I think that's your solve there. Hmm. Okay. Now we've got to figure out what we're going to do with you, Ken. What are we going to do with you, Ken? Uh, so <laughs> what are we going to do? The, the question I have for you is, do you need a four-door for your commute? Or can we just solve this with a nice place to be two-door? And you already did that, Paul. You did it with the M2, which I like. I mean, they're, they're similar. I mean, you could, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and this there, is why. There's a lot of choices in this arena. Exactly. This is why I think you've looked, rightly so, at the LC500. By the way, I would say LC500 over RCF if you can do it any day of the year. But Absolutely. The, but the, the price LC5, is the only thing. Yes, exactly. But the LC500 is still mostly a nice place to be and far less an engaging sports car of any kind. Forget the definitions up front. True. The LC500 is still there to be a nice cruising car. And what I, what I sense from you, Ken, is, is when you have that opportunity, you want to feel that there is sporting intentions just under the surface of your commuter. You don't want it to be mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. The, like the Elise and all the cars I own. You don't want it to be screaming at you all the time. But the minute you put your foot in it or you have an opportunity to do, it, do an on-ramp or something, you want to find it instantly. You want to find that personality right under the surface. Yeah. So that leaves yeah. me with two. If you're going to go sedan, I think you've already mentioned it, Ken. It's the Quadrifoglio. Go get yourself the Alpha Julia Quadrifoglio. Get the qu- now, it's good in base form. We've got a piece coming up for, uh, for Season 5 where we've actually got that, that car and the BMW 3 Series and the G70 are all going together. So it's not the Quadrifoglio in that discussion. For you, it's the Quadrifoglio. Go ahead and get one. If, if you're going sedan. If and you're going sedan. slightly used, the, the depreciation is slightly over the top right yeah. there. Yeah, it has slightly used if you're going to go that direction. The, the Alpha has, and, and I will, I will say one downside. The Alpha, I think, alerts you to its intentions much more often than the M3 and M4 do. I think they are when when I mean, driven that can hard. Be a good thing. Yes, I, I think in this scenario it is a good thing. I think it is a good thing. Yeah. When when driven hard, the M3 really wakes up in that regard. But I think when driven just kind of casually. I don't think you feel like you know what you're in. Whereas I think the Quadrifoglio still has, it's just right there under the surface. Mm -hmm. The only Mm -hmm. problem with the Quadrifoglio, and you, Ken, are going to have to drive it to know, is brake by wire. Yeah. Which is, candidly, phenomenal when you're driving the car hard and can be annoying and definitely takes getting used to when you were doing stop and go. You're going to be doing stop and go in the car. That is the only True. check I've Being got in on Dallas, the yeah, He's so got the traffic to deal with. That's my yeah. question. But yeah. I think you need to drive it for sure because I like that a lot for you as a sedan. But I really would like to have you in a two-door something mm-hmm. that feels more sports car that if you would like to track it, sure. But mostly what are you doing? You're commuting in a nice car that feels like a sports car that all of these things. You need to drive the 911. You need to look. I think you need to go 997. Get a, For that budget, you'd have to. I mean, yeah. I don't know that 991s are in get that an arena 09, anyway. Get an 09 to 2011, 2012, 911. Mm-hmm. That still has the hydraulic steering. I think all of what you're hoping for with when you have an opportunity to drive the car like a fun car is going to be there in the 911, and when you need to cruise, it's going to be fine with it. Yeah. So I think yeah. that 997, 911 is viable. While yeah. you're there, uh, you should drive an F-Type. Ooh. The F-Type is the 911 alternative in this discussion. That is lovely. Uh, so I th- and, I, and I also think since you already looked at the LC500, you have to look at the F-Type. 
I'd go hard top if you can, uh, unless you're too. a convertible person. Convertibles are uh, tough in Dallas. It's hot. It's just hot. Well, just anywhere, you know. We yeah. see them in Palm Springs. Yeah. We see them in California a lot. If the top's not down, what's the point? Is it just between 5 and 7 p.m. every day? Is Possibly. That, Possibly. It's not just <laughs> three days a year when it's... Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a specific time of day during a specific time of year. Yes, exactly right. That, okay. that is, that's how that works. So those those are my thoughts for you. I, I hope you find something that when you're in it every single day of the week, you just are like, I'm glad to be in this. That's what I want for you. And when it opens up and you get to drive a little bit quickly, you're still in love. That's what I want. Thank you for your question, Ken. Really appreciate you writing in. Please let us know what uh, what happens. We'd love mm-hmm. to include that in a future Car Conclusions episode, so definitely let us know. We're jumping to questions here, and we're going to talk about NASCAR. We never talk about NASCAR. Oh, you're going there. We are talking about it, baby. This is a, this is a room full of rakes, but keep going. It, it is. I like Alvin this one. Tio on Facebook, sincere question from a non-American. What makes NASCAR an attractive race for a driver or audience compared to Lamar F1. He always hears people joke about how it's just left turns, yes, but he's interested to know what we think about it. Okay. I love all cars. I love all forms of motorsports. <laughs> caveat, I'm, caveat, I'm caveat. tiptoeing my way in. Easy, yeah, easy there. You're right, it's left turn only, but so is IndyCar. Yeah. IndyCar's yeah. the same way. Mm-hmm. I mean, what about the Indy 500, the, the greatest race? and. Yeah. It's just a left turn, theoretically, yeah, right? You're right. So it should be theoretically boring. Fernando Alonso is going to IndyCar. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Former F1 driver. So this is um, uh, maybe controversial, maybe not. Okay. But that is of all the race series I can think of, mm-hmm. and I've thought about from amateur to Australian V8 supercars to Le Mans to Formula One, I've been, I've been thinking about this mm-hmm. question. It, it is NASCAR that is designed to crash. If Talladega <laughs> happens, <laughs> if Talladega happens and there is not a massive crash, everybody comes away thinking, eh, the race was okay. Somebody won. Mm, but there was a gigantic wreck. Interesting. You, you want, They're you designed want, to crash. You want tires hurtling across the arena. Yes. Into the catch fence. And very few racing series are designed for things and apply to things other than pure forms of entertainment. Mm. IndyCar, by their own admission, is pure entertainment. Yeah, yeah. It's really not trickle down to road cars. Mm-hmm. F1, Le Mans, Formula E, yes. But it's for entertainment purposes. Yeah. Really, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's be honest here. So is NASCAR. Mm. And I very much acknowledge the roots of NASCAR are very cool mm-hmm. and, and mysterious and... And yeah, just yeah. cool, all wrapped up in one. But where it's come to now with, I want a race series where it's, let's be innovative. And that's what Group B rallying was in the 80s. Sure, where every sure, manufacturer sure. was just throwing Trying all these crazy. cool ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it almost didn't matter how much money one team had over another. It kind of does, but... Mm-hmm. You know, one team would be more clever with this, and yeah, I think it was Toyota yeah, yeah. that hid turbochargers in the exhaust manifold or in the exhaust pipe somewhere, so it wouldn't it wouldn't be detected or something. I mean, there are all these clever, creative crazy, ways. So crazy, we don't crazy. have a race series like that anymore. But NASCAR has gotten so standardized and is designed to wreck. If you have the opportunity to touch a NASCAR car up close, grab a hold of that roll bar. It is stout. <laughs> it is stout, and you have to protect the driver. But yeah. in IndyCar, in Le Mans, in Formula One, the cars desperately try to avoid each other. If a crash happens at any level, yeah. disaster for the driver. Yeah. 
in in NASCAR, Rubbin's racing. You can get away with a lot. <laughs> You're right. And you can spin on track and get knocked this way and knocked that way and probably still finish, if not win. Yeah. Interesting. So that's, Interesting. that's okay. my holdback, even though they go really fast. And what I do love is when the, the NASCAR cars are on road course because yeah. then driver talent really shines. I For love sure. that part. For sure, yeah. It's controversial, but mm-hmm. I, I, and NASCAR definitely takes skill. A lot of the drivers mm-hmm. are, you know, extremely talented, and and I love it when they switch cars and put them in other kinds of cars sure, yeah. and they shine. They do and really well. They're just they're genuinely really, drivers, really yeah. talented drivers. Yeah. But it's the series itself that has this sort of outlook of, well, we're just get, getting ready for the you know the weekend crash yeah. coming up. I wonder, and I'm and I'm theorizing here a little bit. That I think. I think NASCAR, by its nature, has a little more bombastic drama than most other race series. It has that kind of... I'd agree to that. You know, the, the, Absolutely. the drivers feel more flamboyant. I mean, if you watch... Look, if, if yeah. there was that really yeah. cool series on, on uh, Netflix right now, actually. It's been out a few months. That was on last season's, the 2018-year uh, F1 season. And it is a, I think it's called uh, Drive to Survive. It's a really good piece on F1. But what's interesting is, even though they break down a lot of the drivers, I feel like the F1 drivers are always on purpose. They have been very cultured to be very staid. Even the flamboyant F1 drivers yeah. are not that flamboyant. I mean, they, they have yeah. crazy money, but they're not out there doing something outrageous, and they don't have a good old boy demeanor, and they don't have a I could go to a beer with uh, go get a beer with him demeanor really at all. Yeah. They yeah. are a step removed. But not NASCAR drivers. NASCAR drivers True. feel True. like a guy you grew up with. And that's the and other thing. And in many cases, they are. And that's the other thing. It Also, F1 has this sense, and so does Le Mans, a lot of these, where I couldn't do that because I wasn't born in Monaco or mm-hmm. my parents don't yeah. have a ton. Yeah. Whereas NASCAR still may, and it isn't always the case, but man, NASCAR maintains a feel where anybody could wind up being a NASCAR driver. And, and I mean, it's a, anyone with talent, it feels like sure. a, it feels like a grassroots thing that I could get there in a way that F1, and then don't get me wrong. There are F1 drivers that have this grassroots story, but in general, F1 feels like it's yachts in Monaco and removed. The NASCAR feels like, Oh, I grew up with him. But there's a level of accessibility to NASCAR that yes. other series do not yes. have. And it's that reason they've mm-hmm. got a massive following because the, the drivers are accessible, the, the track and the, the cars and everything mm-hmm. just feels like, it's really close to me. I, I can feel it, and I, and I connect with it more, and, which is a good thing. And I, I'll go you one further. The American public that watches racing, which is not – I mean, a lot, I, I know a lot of people do, but it isn't like the majority of the country. But the American public is trained to be able to see the entire race course when they go to a race. All the way True. to the point that the track designer of Coda in Austin took this into consideration – and it's one of the reasons they built the huge turn, pardon me, the huge hill at turn one. They were purposely designing the track to give it visibility for the entire track. Think about the F1 mm-hmm. calendar. You're sitting in your bleacher and the cars go by again. And now you're True. waiting until your car that you like goes True. by again. Coda, it's not perfect, but Coda was designed on purpose for you to be able to see most, if not all, of the track because American people are used to watching and seeing everything because it's an oval. I like it for different reasons to answer your question, but I like the road course the most. I prefer that too. Yeah. But again, it just kind of depends on preference. But again, 
All motorsports. This may it's be racing. Sac- Come this, on. This may be sacrilege, but I prefer to actually sit home and watch them show me what I need to see <laughs> via camera well, versus me sitting. The cameras home. are yeah. so awesome. But I agree. anyway, yeah, I, I agree. I'm also that guy. We spent a lot more time on that than I thought. All right. That well, was we've never really touched on, NASCAR. on it. To be well honest. Done. Okay. All Excellent right. question, Alan. Thank you. Uh, I have two that are related, so I'm going to see if I can tackle them both. Ian wrote in on Facebook, and so did Hayden. Oh, yeah, right. They relate to each other. I'm going to start with Hayden real quick. Hayden just had a chance to autocross a brand-new Camaro SS 1LE with MagnaRide, mm. the magna- uh, magnetic dampers. Awesome. Lo- it loved it, and he was very impressed with it. He was so impressed, he couldn't believe how well it handled and drove and turned in with those dampers on it. Okay? Then the funny twist is he got out of that car and decided he, what he really, really wants is an S2000. <laughs> Why did I feel this way? You feel this way because right, right back to where we started – the S2000 feels small and light and chuckable, and the Camaro SS is astounding. Anything from the GM product line, like this is how it's going to relate to Ian, with that, those magnetic dampers is astounding in how well it corners and handles and all of those things. But you can't get past, especially on autocross, the fact that the Camaro is just big. Yeah. And the S2000 yeah. isn't. And if you are a person that chases uh, auto autocross, then you're going to want something that feels little and small and nimble. And, and the S2000 is a poster child for that. And the Camaro, while awesome, isn't. But let me relate this to Ian. Ian's genuinely looking at vets. He's going to buy a Corvette. And he's saying, okay, there's an adjustable suspension option. I'm assuming you mean the magnetic ride option. And he's going, right, is right. this worth it? Why wouldn't I just change my own shocks? Why would I ever get this? Because Ian... It's awesome. Honestly. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Any car that yeah. GM has put that magnetic those are magnetic dampers on. Uh Chevy SS. Yep. ATSV. Yep. Uh the the current Corvette, the Camaro. Go down the list. Those cars have a shocking benefit of having multiple personalities at a level that few cars I've driven have. When you're in comfort mode, you can't believe how nice this ride is. Mm-hmm. And you dial it down to hardcore and you go, Where was this hiding? <laughs> Where has this been all my life? GM, yeah. for all of their struggles, yeah. has really superb chassis engineers and partnered with that technology. They have done some phenomenal handling cars in the last few years. Personally, I love the C7 Corvette. I wouldn't get it without those adaptable shocks. I wouldn't. Uh, yeah. They're phenomenal. And I and well, I wouldn't yeah. play R&D and try to get my own shocks that were better. I would just get those dampers and have all of the. That's the other thing about it. It's got stages of traction control. You can work your way up to more and more of a, of a, of a no safety net <laughs> the, the, while yeah. using those dampers. So I think it's worth it. Now, I will say, Ian, it's not worth it on everything. Like every car that offers adaptable suspension, a lot of times we'll hit the button and we're like, well, that was disappointing. But not in that GM product with the, ma- the magnetic dampers. Those are really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Question from David Elfring on Facebook. Are today's cars too complex, too regulated, and over-engineered? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yeah. yeah. I, yes. Yes. Funny. I'm thinking of the Acura Legend from 91. Okay. How thin those A pillars were. Okay. Because we weren't stuffing airbags in them. Mm-hmm. The thin windshields of the 60s Jaguars. The thin oh my gosh. frames. The, and you think, how on earth is just, just a strip of metal yeah. holding the thin piece of non-tempered glass in? <laughs> how is this possible? Don't roll over. You will die. <laughs> but it, that's, that's what's changed. Yeah. So, sure. yes. And for better and for worse. For both. Because... You know, all kinds of occupant safety reasons, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Starting yeah. with seatbelts in 62 and moving forward to, you know what? Cars can protect you far better today than Completely. they ever could. Yeah. It's a good thing. Absolutely. It's made them heavier. It's caused mm-hmm. a loss of feel. It's caused 
you know, there's a question about drive by wire and you even mentioned it or, or break by wire. Mm-hmm. There's more components. There's more airbags. There's more sensors. Yeah. All of this yeah, yeah. adds weight. Mm-hmm. That's the enemy theoretically, well, I, but yeah, it's kind of the enemy to our driving fun. And so I can see a scenario where car manufacturers start to recognize this and back away for particular fun sports car models. Yeah. 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 And put this in a category of, you know what? It's a sports car and it's got fewer airbags mm-hmm. and it's got, yeah. you know, we've, we've really worked hard to pull stuff out of it to bring the feel back. Yeah. But for, you know, families and the way, you know, the, the more driving that we are all doing mm-hmm. again, better for worse. There's good and bad totally. about both of these things. Totally. In some cases it's, it's simplified manufacturing processes and streamlined a lot of things made cars better built, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. more easily able to, to assemble and put together yeah. all yeah. of those things. There's a lot of groups we've got to satisfy in building a car. A lot of people it's, you know, marketing, legal, the people who put it together, the engineering team yes, who doesn't want something above. overly complex and all hard. The above, they yeah. want their weekends back. They want to go home on weekends and <laughs> not sit at work engineering and redoing it. There's just us, the drivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the used car market, it's so amazing. Cars are so amazing in this sense. And the interiors are multiple little tiny products. Well, and, and we want all of our safety we could possibly think of. And we want all of our technology we can possibly think of, both of those in a car, that there, something has to give, and it's the weight, and it's the feel. Yeah. Those things go away. So I had this conversation this weekend with somebody who was asking me about, they were, they were looking at getting something, and they, something else, something new, and they wanted something that really let the driving experience through. And they were like, what modern cars do that? And I said, let's get to the core of the problem. Tech, safety, and weight mm-hmm. has removed that across all cars. So I was like, where, and he didn't have an answer right away, but I said, that's what you need to figure out is where is your trade off? What's enough feel? Because you have to start trading those modern features to get that feel back. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, there's no right answer, but that is the issue. Yeah. There's, yeah. I wish there were a right answer. I wish there were a direction and cars we can definitively point at that mm. those are getting lighter. Well, <laughs> Even those are getting heavier with all the sensors and backup cameras and all the stuff that we want that makes driving a luxury and wonderful. How about we do away from all those? Are we willing to give that stuff up to get the driving feel back? The fourth Gen MX-5 was lighter than the third. That is an accomplishment. Yeah. And the fact that Alpha made the 4C at all is an astounding victory. No kidding. Yeah, um, unbelievable. Nathan Kowalski, how are you, man? Nathan Kowalski wrote in and said, how bad are the PDK buttons on the Cayman <laughs> steering? Well, by the way, they're not just on the Cayman. He saw our Cayman uh, Generations yes. piece, piece at uh, on season four. Thank you for watching that. And he noticed that the uh, the first gen had the buttons. And those are the push-pull buttons, right? Uh, well, that actually had the, the clickety-click Oh, those had the thumb buttons. The yeah, thumb, you're right, you're right. Just the thumb uh, buttons, yeah. The thumb buttons, actually, I even have those on my wife's Cayenne. And they're fine. They're not. They're <laughs> not designed. They're not designed for high speed movement. They're just not. They're not not designed for the fast, super fast shifting. They do exist. But then Porsche went to that push pull thing, which I actually want to want to argue was possibly worse. I'm with you. They because, made a mistake there because what yeah. what they were intending, and if you've ever seen them, it's, it's literally a big push push pull silver disc, or like looks like sitting on the top of the steering wheel. Yeah, and it's designed with you've got your your hands at nine nine and three. There, you can push for for uh, I think it's up, uh, it's up going 
didn't rolling they, your, your thumb didn't in, isn't it? Didn't each button work in each different directions? Each button does both. Each button does yeah, both. Which you is can pick. confusing. So you can pull them either one back, and, and I think it's I think that's up, and then down is you roll the, the fat part of your thumb onto it to yeah. go down. And I've watched I watched a professional race Porsche, uh, you know, professional driver do it, and he was very quick. But the problem is that Porsche had that, they had, for lack of a better way to put it, they had an Apple moment. They went, this is the way it should be done. While the rest of the industry was going to normal paddles that we're all used to now that had an industry standard where it was like on the right, you pull that for up, for up on the left, you pull that for down. Porsche <laughs> an went, Apple moment. We, have, we have a better way. And the problem is it was already becoming so standardized everywhere else that Porsche now looked like the oddball. Mm-hmm. And you had mm-hmm. to relearn something. It'd be, it'd be, I've said this before, it'd be like you got in a car and the gas pedal was in the middle. Well, even if that made more ergonomic sense, it doesn't. Uh, you'd have to be like, how do I drive this car compared to... And that's why that died. Well, yeah. And uh, I was just thinking that's a human factors and ergonomics moment where theoretically it makes all kinds of sense. It does. Except when you get out there, unless you're a factory trained driver and you're, mm-hmm. you're quick at it, and you know, and you're thinking about it. Yeah. It's not as intuitive as what became the standard. Well, and it doesn't necessarily mean, honestly, to, to argue it in favor of Porsche. Again, Porsche may have had the better way to go. But maybe, by that point, maybe. you already were training people to do the other. And so you're coming to Porsche and it feels weird. I mean, the good thing is, if your Cayman R has those, you know, the PDK and it's got the, the thumb flick buttons, buttons, yes, you can still reach down to the gear lever and still have the feeling of interacting as if you're driving a manual, even though you're slamming it forward and back. Yeah, you can still have that interaction, so that's the bright side, maybe <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> or you can get a manual. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> and Kaylin on Instagram is saying emissions laws seem very strict in the U.S. Yeah, I saw this. this is a good one. Yeah, they are. How are the big engines and muscle cars going strong? It's the uh, the history that we have. Well, and it's also fleet ratings. It's the the cafe, the fleet ratings, the cafe standards it's, for it's, sure. It's the trade off of we have all of these things that have huge engines and have all this history, but we're offsetting them with these other things over here, and so we end up with the rating we're supposed to have as a company. Even though, don't please don't notice our large trucks and this huge engine that <laughs> yes. has ten cylinders in our sports car. Yeah, it is partly that. It's partly technology. It's just better fuel economy overall. Mm-hmm. It's you know going to direct injection and things like that. There's you know all kinds of little new technologies. The the start stop feature while you're sitting at a stoplight and the engine dies there's the you know half the cylinder bank shut off Mm -hmm. kind of thing cylinder deactivation there's little things but i think it it depends state to state very much california being on the you know strict end of things washington state you know that kind of thing but but, uh we've got a history and and people want that feeling and that sound they sell and, and our gas is much cheaper here which is a factor there is that yeah so all of these things uh play into it surviving and uh, to be honest it's surviving because it kind of skirts the issues just a little bit it's it's there the issues are there it, it's it's kind of thing you've talked about it before if somebody designed a motorcycle right now for the first time nobody would ever approve it but because they've existed forever people are still allowed to, dr- to drive motorcycles yeah, and that's yeah. kind of this. If somebody right now, if everybody in the world had little tiny turbo four cylinders getting forty miles of the gallon, and somebody probably be Dodge showed up with a, <laughs> a, a Hemi engine right now, everybody'd be like, "We're not even gonna, we're not even gonna qualify." That's that can't go. But because it's a continuation of some, it's grandfathered in to some degree. Yeah. All right, I've got one last question. You had a few more. 
I got a couple more. Actually, that was one of the ones I had, okay. but keep going. All right. So Old Beccano on Instagram has not touched a pencil in 17 years, was primarily a cartoonist. Thanks for writing. Paul, how do you get into designing for fun, not professionally? Mm. He said, do you grab a pencil and tracing paper and give it a go? He couldn't draw a car to save his life. I bet you you're wrong. I bet you you could. Mm -hmm. And remember your perspective and think about something in your house or in your life that you've wanted to redesign because you think it could look better or function better. Mm, That's good. Tear it apart and start tumbling those pieces around in your head and draw them in a lot of different perspectives. So cartoon is is pretty flat. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's a South Park type of look or a... You know, just a comic strip. It's it's very two dimensional, but start to turn that part around in your head and imagine drawing it from mm. a lot of different angles, and then okay, well that would look better this way, and oh, you know the overall product shape. But then remember, the relatable shapes are what we buy. Mm. Look at Apple's laptops, the laptops we've got on our desks right now. Yeah, they're simple shapes, mm-hmm. but they're so appealing. They they're relatable. They're not a crazy you know, looking phone or a crazy looking car or something like that. So start with, you know, the basics, the the cube, the cylinder, the sphere, mm. torus, all those things. Start back at that. Very cool. You know, drawn things in perspective in three dimensions and then apply that to a product. I like that. I've got two very quick ones. First is Dammit Patton is asking about the Corvette C8, which we all want to drive. We're all very curious about. He said, what if this comes out starting at 60 grand? Oh, how much is that going to revolutionize the the performance car industry? He's asking if there's ever been something that is similar in performance disruption for dollar. Yes. In fact, I don't know that anybody's going to top Which this. continues the entire Corvette brand as far as, you know, speaking to that. That's what yes, Corvettes but, have but always Yes, but he's saying if, if they have a mid-engine that's this price, isn't it super disruptive to the industry? And has anybody ever done that or done that as, the, as well? And I think the person that wins this category still to this day is the original Honda NSX. Yeah. It drops out of yeah. nowhere, and it shows Ferrari and others mid-engine exotic quasi-affordable, and by the way, it runs. That affected the entire sports car, performance car industry from Corvette to Ferrari was influenced by NSX dropping. So yeah, I, I yeah. don't know if the C8 can pull off a coup like that. I also want a random side note, and then I'm going to move on. I, I Honestly, I hope that GM makes this car good over cheap. If it needs to be a $110,000 start for everything to work and be robust and be a world beater, then have it start at 110. Hmm. It's a mid-engine new platform. It needs to be away from the Camaro anyway. Give it the cost it needs. I hope that somebody at GM is not grinding this into the earth of it needs all that stuff you guys have built, but it needs to be $20,000 cheaper. I hope they're not doing that because I see reliability and braking problems coming if they try to do both. That's, so that's that's, that's a thought. Uh, Ariopolis asked, I like uh, biking, rock climbing, skiing. How? What? What's up with me? Do these tie to my driving? Why do I like these kind of things? <laughs> Quick answer here. I have a tendency, I don't know why, and driving falls into this. I almost always like sports that are solitary sports. I was never a big team sport. I played a fair number of team sports. I just, I always liked the the self-betterment of the individual sports. Sure, yeah. And that's why I've liked all those sports. Also, all those sports, the commonality for me that relates to driving isn't really, um, it isn't really a feel that makes it relate. It's that all of those sports that I, when I do them, it's one of those rare times when my brain doesn't do anything else. 
those sports allow me to be. I've got 8 million things on my brain that I am solving or working on or worrying about until the moment I start that thing, and then it's all clear until that thing's over because those sports all require that kind of focus. That's a great point. Anyway, it's a great point. Guys, thanks for being with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you for all your questions. Keep asking. We're looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone.